Welcome to Scale Her Up, the female entrepreneur show with me, Brenda Hector. I'm a business growth specialist helping business owners to develop themselves and grow their businesses so they can achieve their goals and enjoy the lifestyle they dream of. I'm also on a mission to revolutionise the entrepreneurial landscape for women in business. In every podcast episode, I interview someone who has an inspiring story or some great advice for women aiming to start or scale their businesses. If you're new to the show, take a moment to subscribe and please check out the previous ones after listening to this. We've got an awesome community on Facebook. Just search for Scale Her Up and join in. Today on the Scale Her Up podcast, I have Hannah Powell of the Periwood Garden Centre with me. Welcome, Hannah. It's lovely to have you here. Thanks for agreeing to take part. I wonder if you could tell us about your business. Oh, where to start? So our company started off in the 1950s when my grandparents bought a small piece of land, a small holding of four acres. Um, They had a bungalow, they had some fields, they had, what did they grow? Weeds, I think a lot of, Um, some cows, (laughs) some chickens, and they really tried to live off the land. And then if you fast forward quite a lot to 1984, my dad had left school at 16, wasn't too keen on school and he went to work for Colchester Parks Department and he learned about growing plants and he wanted my grandparents to start growing plants in greenhouses to sell rather than field crops because he thought they would get more money for them and he also was seeing the trend for the supermarkets coming along and taking away the pick your own industry for example which they were part of. So in 1984 my parents bought the business from my nan and granddad, and then in the next 30 years, developed it into what we call a destination garden centre. So this is a garden centre that you will travel across the county. And actually we get people from the outskirts of London. We're in North Essex. We get people from the outskirts of London, the whole of Essex and into Suffolk coming to us. And they'll treat us, um, you know, like a day out, an afternoon out, that kind of thing. So Periwood Tiptree, that's our our first garden centre. So we do, um, I suppose we're a, what I would call a really good plant-based garden centre. So our vision is to get more plants in people's lives. And that's what we're really focused on. We have a nursery there as well, growing three quarters of a million bedding plants every year. And we've got, uh, normally we have an amazing coffee shop open as well um, with really good food. And then two years ago, we decided to uh, buy a second garden centre just over the border into Suffolk in Sudbury. So we bought one of the old Wyvale garden centres, 35 acre site. So quite a lot of potential, but had been really unloved, uninvested in, needed a lot of money, a big hug, you know, bring in some extra staff, etc. So that's kind of quite a, we're on a growth trajectory with, with that one. And we're just waiting at the moment for planning permission to build a brand new garden centre over there. So that'll be an eight to 10 million pound investment and we'll build it on a part of the site that's currently not used for anything. And then we'll repurpose the old garden centre and lease that out to complementary business. And I should say the bit that I haven't said probably, I mean, there's loads more I could tell you, but the last thing I I will say is that I work with my dad and my two brothers as well. So it really is a family affair. How is that then, working with (laughs) with the family? It's brilliant. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, we don't always agree. And there are times when it's really difficult. And I think the times when it's difficult is when there's something going on outside of work that's affecting the family. You know, sometimes you go to work to kind of forget things at home. But obviously, if we go normally, I mean, at the moment, we're all working from home most of the time. 
going on on site when we need to but normally we're all sat in an office together so you know the emotions that you might have outside of work are kind of there at work as well so I think that's one of the biggest challenges but we're extremely close we see each other outside of work socially as well we all live within a three mile kind of <laughs> radius um, and it's brilliant we all have different skills both myself and my two brothers went off and did things outside of the business and then brought those skills back. So we've each got a different skill set and we work really well together. My dad is 70 this year, but he still works four to five days a week. Still really passionate about it. Still got lots lots of energy and enthusiasm, but he's been open to us bringing in our ideas and expertise. And I'm very thankful for that because you hear of a lot of businesses where the previous generation you know, hold back and they don't want to invest and they don't understand this tech stuff. And, you know, we, we haven't had that. We have don't always agree with him. Sometimes, you know, we have to persuade him to do things. But it's the same between me and my brothers as well. We don't always agree and we challenge each other. And I think that's what makes us a, a strong business, actually. I think the evidence is there in the in the research that a team who challenges each other and mm. are are varied in their outlook is actually a, a higher performing team. So, so that's good. Yeah, you said that you and your brothers both all had gone off and done something else and then come back mm. to the business. Was it always the intention that you would carry on the family business? No. So it was a, it's a bit strange. We never really talked about it as a family. I mean, we talked about the business. Well, I mean, we lived on a house, I should say, next to the business. So the kitchen table was the war table. You know, it was the HR office. It was where we counted the money at the end of the day back, back then. So we were very much intertwined with the business growing up. They wanted us to go off and do our own thing. I, I felt a bit of pressure kind of in my teens and 20s of, oh, should I be back in the business? But it was, it was driven by myself, really, I think. My two brothers, so I went and did a degree in horticulture. So in a way, I was the most obvious one to come back. But I then went to London and fell into, a, as you do, fell into PR and marketing and did 10 years there. The next child, Simon, he um, did engineering. Actually, both my brothers did engineering. And I put that down to the fact that when we were growing up, there was always building going on, on the, in the garden centre next to our house. So they, they grew up with building, building projects around them and they've both got that kind of mind. So they went off and did engineering. Simon came back first, which was quite a surprise because of all of us, he was the least likely to, in a way. He kind of, as soon as he could, he went and got jobs elsewhere when, you know, when he was older. And he didn't really show any interest. But I think he realised when he went away that actually, for all the downsides of a family business, there are a lot of positives. And I think as a teenager, it's quite easy to think, well, my parents were working all the time. I mean, my dad worked seven days a week when we were growing up. Um, which none of us do, <laughs> do now, um, you know, it's insane. So we grew up with that, that side of it, I think. So, so he came back into it. Then I came back into it and I came back into it as a freelancer initially. And that was a really good way for me to dip my toe into it and think, is, is this what I want to do? And then Tristan was the last one. So he, he was working in, um, in engineering. He was a project manager for a company that laid cables out to offshore wind farms. So completely, completely different. But he was getting incredibly frustrated with the people that he worked for and, you know, the decisions that were being made. And we kind of said to him, look, if you're there, you've got to go with it or, or you need to leave because you're obviously not happy. Um, so he did the same as me. He came back into the business as a contractor initially and handled a building project that we had. So that worked really well for him. And, and, and now he's been full time for a few years, um, and, you know, plays an important role as, as we all do. So no, it's been really good. 
it's great it's great to hear everyone's story of how they get into business so yeah mm. great as a obviously this podcast is all about women in business so as as a, a woman in business you know at, at the head of a, a successful organization what do you feel are the challenges that that you've had to overcome or are they different from the challenges that your your dad and your brothers have to have to overcome um I think being on maternity leave was difficult so I took a year out when my daughter was born she's just turned eight and I found it really hard to come back into the business after a year. I felt my confidence was was really knocked. Um, so that's so that was interesting. I think I'm in my family. I'm the main carer for my daughter. My husband works full time in London. He's working from home at the moment, but not normally. He's he's in the city all week. So that impacts on my ability of what I can do at work. I've also had um, burnout and health issues in the past. So I'm very mindful of looking after myself. So I work part-time and I'm the only one of the directors that works part-time, they all work full-time. Um, Simon has got children um, and he's actually um, reduced his hours at the moment while, while they're homeschooling. So it's not like, you know, I think as a father, you can equally have those challenges. It just depends who the who the, care, who the main carer is. Um, apart from that, I think I am prone to a bit of imposter syndrome sometimes, but I don't think that's always a female trait. I think there are men that, that get that as well, but it's less likely, possibly. What else? I think, I think all the rest are kind of advantages, to be honest. Okay, I'll come back to the advantages then. I was just <laughs> going to say, if you're, you're aware that you have imposter syndrome mm -hmm. and, you know, Many of us do, and a lot of literature out there, um, mm. increasing amount of literature out there about it. But how do you, what do you do? How do you overcome that? Oh, it's a good question. I don't think there's any one thing. I think the kind of character that I am, I throw myself into things. I am generally quite confident, but occasionally that kind of self-doubt just comes through. You know, like when we were buying this garden centre, you know, we, we were like, this is a big move for us to go from one business to two. And although we haven't borrowed any mon money to date, when we start the building work, we probably, you know, well, we will have to borrow some money. So that's, that's kind of unknown. That's something we haven't done before. And I remember saying to the others, you know, what happens if, we've, if we take on too much? What happens if we can't do this? And I remember Simon saying to me, you don't really believe that, do you? And I was like, well, not really. But, you know, there's just a little bit of my head that's saying, you know, are you good enough to do this? Um, so I keep learning. That's that's my thing. So I'm obsessed by books. I have so many business books. And if, if I have a period of doubt, I will double my efforts to kind of research what I'm doing. So I am the kind of person I get my inspiration. I get my next steps from looking externally. Um, I'm not a kind of great thinker who kind of thinks internally and comes up with the answers. I, I go out there to the rest of the world. Um, I'll network, I'll read a book, I'll go do a podcast, um, I'll join up to a course. You know, that, that's my way of kind of making sure that I've got the right answers. And I think that, that gives me confidence. That's a really, really good lesson, actually, because, yeah, maybe you don't have to come up with the ideas because someone else has already done it. What's the point of absolutely. reinventing the wheel if you can just read how someone else did it? Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. That, that's the way I feel about it. I think the it's inspiring for me to go out there. So, for example, we joined the Garden Centre Association, oh gosh, maybe eight years ago, primarily because you could get awards from it. 
and but it's been so much more than that so they're the people that have ranked us as number three in in the uk for garden centers based on i was, a, good, I was an, going to bring that up yeah so it's, it's based yes. on an annual inspection so it's not us you know it's not just some kind of spurious thing i actually send out an inspector during a during a three-month window um, i'm going off tangent now and i've done i don't know what the original thing was but anyway we'll get back to that so they send out these unannounced inspectors and and we started off, I think, at number 75 or something in the table. And then we went up to the, within 20, the top 25. And then we were in, I think we were number 11 a couple of years running. And, and now and then we were number four. And now we're number three. So now we're like, well, hold on a minute. We could be number one now. So that gives you that, that, that confidence. But it's been so much more than that because the network is brilliant. Because when I was growing up, I was the only one of my peers that lived on a garden centre. You might not be surprised to know. You know, it's quite isolating. Suddenly I met these garden centre owners from across the country who were experiencing the same problems, not only in terms of business, but also in terms of running a business with their family. So we could talk quite openly about what it's like to, you know, work with the, the other generation and what succession looks like and how have they done that and how have they done this. Um, and that's been absolutely... Um, brilliant I can't remember what your question was but I hope I've answered it <laughs> no I think yeah you were we were talking about looking to not reinventing the wheel looking to other people yes. that have done it so and I'm taking from what you've just said there the power of of your network and and talking to people who are in the same boat as, mm. as you which so, would be a lesson that I would want the listeners yeah. to take from this for sure I think that's right and that I'm very lucky we're in an industry where there is so much generosity and openness because we are all independents we are all owner managed there are some chains um, in the group as well and um, they perhaps don't open up quite as much but those of us that are independents there's a lot of support for each other and they've become really good friends as well so we know we can ring someone up and say look I'm thinking of buying this place but I'm worried about this have you done something like that and they all help you out you know I'll, I'll, I'm, I look after HR and comms so I know comms managers and HR managers that I can have a chat to before I buy a piece of software or, or, or something like that. So it is learning from those experiences, which is absolutely fantastic. And equally, I love networks that are nothing to do with the industry as well. I think you have to have a combination of both because sometimes you can see what's happening in another industry. Or so, for example, I keep up with what's being said in the HR industry, what's being said in the comms industry just make sure that I'm always looking at what's going on because we're quite we, we have a vision and values and in, part of our values is be the best that you can be so it's this kind of continuous improvement thing and I think that's what we're quite good as a good at as a family is that we always want to improve and to do that you, you I think you do have to look externally I, I think you stagnate otherwise brilliant that, that if it, I wouldn't have a business if it wasn't for an attitude like that so <laughs> I totally agree with you totally agree now moving back then we talked about the challenges of being a woman in business mm. and you said there were advantages what do you see as the advantages of being I think I have more empathy than the males do and again that's quite a stereotypical thing and it just happens to be the way in our family and they, they would agree with that you know there's a there's a scale and I'm on one end um, and they're varying toward, towards the other end so I think that's really good and I think you know we employ a lot of women so if there was only men at the top actually you you, you miss that viewpoint I, ju I just think yeah I can't I know I said advantages I can only think of a couple now <laughs> 
Well, um, I'm, I'm talking. I mentioned, you know, the the research is out there that having a balance of of gender as well is mm. proven to be better for business success. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. So what have, what have been the biggest challenges that you've faced as a business then over the years? Obviously, the the purchase of a new one. There's new challenges coming now. Yeah. But- so I think that was the biggest personal challenge for us because we were doing something that none of us had done before. So that was interesting, you know. And we were taking over a team there. There was only about twenty five of them, maybe thirty. But we were, you know, going to a different county, you know, only just over the border, but a different county in area we didn't know that well. People we didn't know, and we wanted to make it a success. Actually, it's been a fantastic journey. And for the size of business, it is much more profitable at the moment with the whole COVID restrictions that we've got because it's on a growth trajectory at our main centre. You know, we've had to restrict the customer numbers so much that that's really brought down turnover. Whereas the other garden centre, we haven't had to restrict the numbers uh, proportionately. As much so it's, it's really helped us during this period to have two so I say that's the biggest challenge and I, I I've as I said I'd had burnout and health problems in the past and when we were buying the centre there was a period where only the directors and trusted advisors if you like knew about the sale so I was spending a lot of time in my evenings at the weekends doing a lot of the due diligence work and that the you know preparing for the two people transfer of staff and all that kind of stuff and I did get quite fatigued by that and I look back now and think actually I did I did take on too much so that that was a lesson lesson for me to make sure I I don't do that again in terms of the actual business I think we had the recession in 2008 but actually what we did was build a massive new shop so that we could not just sell plants but also sell the giftware the, the food and things like that so actually we put on growth following the reception because of that investment that we've put back into it and as a business we've always made a profit put it back into the business made a profit put it back into the business as I said earlier to date we haven't actually ever had to borrow any money so that puts us in a good position and then I think Covid has been a massive challenge you know I remember back to last March when we had to close and it was a real well not the wind out of my sails I have to say because that uncertainty we were like, oh, my God, we've got a really good business. We're putting for planning permission for this garden centre, you know, on a real growth. What happens if this, you know, really affects us? Um, actually, it's, 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 it's been OK. And, you know, compared to a lot of businesses that can't even trade, we're in a really good position. But I think also the responsibility for me of having 200 employees you know, that are, we talk about the Perrywood family, we, we, we like to look after them as if they were family. And to do that during this pandemic has, has been difficult. I, you know, it weighs heavy on my shoulders. Are we doing everything we can in terms of their well-being and their mental health? Are we doing everything we can in terms of their safety when they come to work? Do they feel safe? You know, we're doing everything we can um, to prevent them getting COVID. Um, so that has been exhausting actually and and quite difficult and then alongside you know homeschooling and (laughs) everything else but actually we've we've had a really good response from the team they've they've really kind of risen to the challenge customers have been amazing and I think the extra effort that we've put into the safety precautions and the well-being support has been has been has been really good and I'm sure that empathy that you were talking about has possibly made it 
harder, put more pressure on you, but I'm sure that your Periwood family are appreciating the efforts that you've gone to because you, you know, yeah. you feel, you feel that's important to you because you're the empathic no, I, th I, th I think that's right. No, they, yeah, they, they do appreciate. And I think the fact that we've been always been quite transparent and communicated a lot with them, you know, and I've had people say to me, oh, you know, my partner works for a big organisation and they just don't hear anything, whereas you're emailing us all the time. And at one point there was just memo after memo after memo because so much was happening and changing. Oh, no, we've got to do this. Oh, no, we've got to do this. So, yeah, it, it's it's been an interesting. But I, I think actually there's been some good things that have come out of it as well. You know, every cloud has a silver lining, doesn't it? And I think this crisis will be will be the same. Yeah, there are there are opportunities in in every crisis. It just depends how you look at it. I think mm. you you've mentioned that you've had some burnout issues earlier, mm. and I, yep. I'm I'm aware that you're actually reflecting on that and writing writing a book about your experiences yes. and how the garden centre <laughs> has helped. So, do mm. you do you want to tell us a bit about that? Sure. So, back in two thousand and nine, I'd been working in London for maybe nine years, and I'd been in quite busy jobs so I worked for a PR agency and then I worked for a not-for-profit organization we promoted entrepreneurship around the country and around the world actually and I was regularly working kind of 8 a.m to 8 p.m I threw myself into work I threw myself into my social life there was a lot of drinking and I think my body had just had enough uh, and the interesting thing for me is that it was after I moved in with my boyfriend who's, who's now my husband that was when it was almost when I relaxed that I got ill and so yeah so I was living in London at the time and I used kind of nature and getting outside as a way to help my recovery so I had a lot of treatments as well I had um, acupuncture cranial osteopathy I had counselling but alongside that kind of daily walk and I, I used to try and take a good photo every day and most of those photos would be to do with, to do with nature and it just got me out the house um, I, it was hard to walk at the time because of the, the nature of I had a functional movement disorder, which meant that um, my nervous system was basically stuck on high. So every time I um, touched something with my hands or feet, my torso, and my arms would kind of jerk. My, my brain was sending the wrong signals to, to my limbs. So, you know, getting out for a walk was actually quite challenging, but, but it helped. And then when I came back to uh, moved out to Essex and got my own garden and was in the countryside, I've just become aware of how important that has been to me. And I think because I grew up literally surrounded by plants, you know, it, it's it's kind of part of my DNA. You know, people talk about having green fingers. I mean, I think, think the whole of me is green <laughs> inside. So that's been really important. And yeah, I'm now writing a book about it. So it's going to be called The Cactus Surgeon, because that's what I wanted to be when I was six. You know, you have these fleeting um, desires to be different things. But Cactus Surgeon was was one of mine. And it's been really interesting to look back and think, well, is there a reason that I got burnout? And why did I get burnout when other people didn't? And how could some of those lessons be of interest to other people? I think there's, when you've had an epiphany in your life, you know, so I completely changed my lifestyle after I had burnout. I was obsessed with kind of marginal health gains. You know, I didn't use perfume for ages. I cut out any cosmetics with chemicals I gave up drinking I gave up eating wheat you know it's, there's a massive kind of lifestyle change and I'm, I'm not saying everyone should go out and do that by the way but I think once you've had some kind of epiphany in your life you look at other people in a different way and you you feel that concern for them so you know if I if I see someone that I think is in danger of burnout it, it's obvious to me because I've 
I've been through it myself and I have the, I have this desire to help other other people and kind of share those lessons and I think for a lot of entrepreneurs um, when I was promoting entrepreneurship in London I saw some of them the way they threw themselves into their business whether with with time you know the hours some of them were working was was unbelievable and the money or you know they're putting their house up um, you know they fund their business you know absolutely unbelievable commitment so I think for entrepreneurs it is really important to just practice self-care and make sure that you're not and also if you're a business that, that is scaling up actually you're going to have employees so you've got to set what you do will be the example for your employees so if you're coming in at seven in the morning and working till seven at night and you're answering emails at all hours of the day that's what they're going to do as well and actually I'm really proud of the fact that at Perrywood we don't have a long hours culture in general you know when we close the office closes you know by about quarter past half past five normally um, yeah it's a bit different at the moment because I'm kind of fitting in work around homeschooling so I will do things in the evenings and things but but you know generally we don't have that long hours culture and I think if you are scaling up a business as I say you've just got to be really mindful of yeah setting the example. So I know there's a whole book but what, what would <laughs> yeah. be your advice then to entrepreneurs who maybe think they are they're putting in too many hours mm. and they, you know, cause I know I've, as a business coach that, you know, I'm working with, with people who are struggling to, to cope with the, sure. the amount of effort that's required mm. or the, the work-life balance not being correct. What, what would you advise? I think one thing is to, as soon as you can afford it, delegate or get consultants you know whether it's in-house or, or externally get other people to do some of that work for you I think a lot of entrepreneurs hold on to stuff for too long because it's their baby because it's their idea because they can do it better than anyone else actually someone else might not do it quite as well as you but if that means you can go home and have a bath and a, and a hot meal and see your family you're going to be better and more productive the next day and you're less likely to get sick so I, I think delegation where you can obviously for a early startup that can be really difficult because maybe you can't afford it and I think you know be realistic about what you can achieve as well so if it is just you and you can't afford to employ anyone go with the flow don't try and follow those ideas that aren't going anywhere you know ditch those for a while and go with the one that's going to help you to accelerate the quickest and I think it can be a lonely place as well so I think networks and connecting is really important as well a lot of the work we did was about um, connecting entrepreneurs to each other and I know they found that that really useful and ha maybe having a mentor as well someone who's you know a bit ahead of you um, that can tell you what they've learned as well I think can be really good sometimes you need a bit of tough love I think as, as an entrepreneur you need a business coach or, or a mentor to kind of say well hold on a minute why are you spending your time doing all of that and actually the other thing um, the last thing I'm going to say is do a, uh, a diary or a log of what you spend your time on in the week and just kind of i'm sure you tell people this i just check what you're doing you know if you're spending an hour a day browsing on facebook or i don't know whatever it is you know you can actually be quite productive more productive in a day if you look at how you spend your time and i know i'm i'm guilty of this i can get lost in email lost in social media but if you're really if, if and that's okay for me because i'm not i know i'm not working too long hours but if you are working long hours that's one way you can kind of maybe bring it back in 
Totally agree. Although I, I have been guilty of getting lost in Facebook or in emails. <laughs> I think we all do. We all do. We all we do. All do. Yeah. But they need a bit of escapism at the moment as well. Absolutely. The purpose of this podcast is to encourage more women to start and scale businesses. We can really make a difference to the economy if if we try yep. to match what the, the, the levels that men are, are building their businesses. What do you think that we can do to bring about that, that revolution, if you like? It's interesting, isn't it? Because we used to do something called International Women's Day, which I think still runs. Um, and that was one of the things we did as part of Enterprise Week, which, which I was running and, and it turned into Global Entrepreneurship Week. So it's a shame that we're really having the same conversation all, all these years later. I think society, you know, if you look at this pandemic, for example, I think we've gone back a bit with women, haven't we? You know, women are taking up the brunt of the childcare and the homeschooling more often than not. Um, they're the ones who are having to reduce their hours and being furloughed because they've got the caring responsibilities in the main there are of course exceptions to that but that's certainly what I'm seeing is that it's, it's the majority in fact not if not all are, are men in our company no, sorry are women in our company that are being furloughed so they can, they can homeschool so I think it'll be interesting to see whether that ever <laughs> changes and a lot of women love doing it like that I, you know I don't want to say that men should be completely changing what they do or you know it's up to each family to, to work that out but as a society we've got to make sure that the support is there for women that do that do want to work out and have a family and I don't think it is yet I think flexible working is, is an interesting one as well isn't it but um, I suppose that's more in the workplace than for entrepreneurs I think examples of female entrepreneurs in the media you know that's what we did in as part of our campaigns and I think that continues to be important I think people that know an entrepreneur or have read about their story are more likely to um, want to become an entrepreneur. That was certainly the case when we were doing our campaign and I'm sure that's true now. So I think, you know, if, if you want to set up a business, go out and find other women that have done the same thing. And I think actually through this pandemic, more people are setting up businesses because there's a lot of people that have suddenly seen their income go or they've had to diversify where maybe they had a business doing one thing and now they're suddenly doing something completely different because they used to be a singing coach or they used to be um, in hospitality or whatever it is and they're suddenly having to do something different so that, and there's people that have been made redundant as well so again there will be some positives that come out of this pandemic there will be entrepreneurs that emerge that, that you know do something different yeah yeah, I uh, I agree. I agree totally. Tell me a bit more about these campaigns that you, you were running then. Yeah, so I work for an uh, organisation called Make Your Mark, and we then became Enterprise Insight. We were mostly funded by the government, Department for Business, but we also got sponsorship for certain projects. So we ran something called Enterprise Week, which ran every year in the autumn. And we were started up as a campaign to encourage young people to become entrepreneurs. And then it grew where we then, then thought, okay, we need to do something with women. We need to do something with ethnic minorities. We, I think we even did a campaign for older people. You know, and it, it would be very much where we could find funding for, um, or we saw there was an, a policy need, we would go in that direction. And then we got approached by an organization in the States called Kaufman, who were doing something similar and they said, would you like to work with us to set up Global Entrepreneurship Week? So we flew out to Washington and we came up with this concept and we took it around the world. So I went to Budapest and Paris and did workshops with organisations in lots of different European countries that wanted to run 
their own global entrepreneurship week so i gave them templates of how to you know get media coverage how to run events how to get entrepreneurs involved as kind of ambassadors for the campaign and that kind of thing so it's absolutely fantastic and ended up actually just as i i got ill and then went back part-time after a six months absence and then it ended up being kind of wound up and there was no funding for it but bits of the campaign kind of still live on so we did something called make your mark with a tenner where we gave school children 10 pounds and a month to make as much money as they could which was really fantastic and i believe that that is still there i think may possibly with young enterprise um and Ollie Barrett. i think that's so, so yeah. valuable because i don't believe that young people coming through school get enough exposure to the mm. opportunity you know that it's almost like they're not really shown that entrepreneurship's an option mm. so no, I, yeah, I, I, think I think that's, that's right really valuable for young people yeah yeah so I, I think there um there is still there are still people out there pr- promoting entrepreneurship um but yeah it's, it's a shame that that my organization is it's not not there anymore but we did yes. we, they did great work you know there was some fantastic people in the organization and it did um, it did make a difference. I do think the work that we did encouraged some people to set up businesses, which is fantastic. Yeah, great. Very, very valuable work. Is there anything then, Hannah? I, I learned this question from somebody we both know well. <laughs> I know uh, what you're going to asks this question. <laughs> is, is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked? I don't think there is. I think we've covered quite a lot. I'm aware that I've kind of given you a little bit of lots of, lots of things and that I, I could talk all day about my business and about entrepreneurship I'm so passionate about about both but no I don't I don't don't think so I think someone said to me the other day you know how do you how do you fit enough hours in the day how how do you get it done but I think it's it's discipline and choice isn't it I have a choice what I what I do you know I, I don't have to write a book but I know that it's a great project to be doing during the lockdown and it kind of motivates me so I'll find the time. And I think setting up a business is, is the same thing. If, so maybe that's my final lesson or, or, or thing is do something you're passionate about because it's going to be much more fun and you're more likely to make it work because you'll want to make it work. If you're trying to set up a business and it's a bit of a drag, then probably probably not the right business. Uh, uh, brilliant. Uh, um great lesson to end on thank you very much hannah for your time and your insight into your business and your your journey and i'm sure you'll inspire many of the listeners with the the stories that you've shared and if anybody wants to find out more you get that book written and we can all we can all read it so thank you so much you're welcome enjoyed it thanks for listening to scale her up the female entrepreneurs show Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and please join our Facebook community at Scale Her Up. Please connect with me, Brenda Hector, on social media and drop me a message to let me know you're enjoying the podcasts or even better, pop a wee review on iTunes. I'm going to finish by reminding you, only one in three UK entrepreneurs are female and men are five times more likely to scale their business to over one million in turnover than women. If we started and scaled our businesses to the same extent as men, it would add 250 billion to the UK economy and provide millions of jobs. Ladies, you can do it, and we're gonna make a massive difference.